Before we begin, I think it's time for a correction. Last week in the episode on, I believe it was, That's My Mama, I referred to Anna Maria Horsford as Anne Marie Johnson. That was a mistake on my part. I'm sorry, my bad. I meant to say Anna Maria Horsford who is also a lovely lady. What was that name? Anna Maria Horsford. Anna Maria Horsford? Dear sweet God, just roll the intro. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 353, submission number 565, Tucker's Witch. Tucker's Witch aired on the CBS television network from October 6, 1982 to June 9, 1983 for 12 episodes. Here's the pitch, guys. Imagine Samantha and Darren from Bewitched, but they're detectives. What? Samantha and Darren from Bewitched, but they're detectives. That sounds very stupid. Yes, it does sound very stupid. But CBS, the network that gave us Cagney and Lacey, thought, you know what? We are living in the prime age of the detective on television. So they decided to give it a shot. And by they, I, of course, mean the creators, William Bast and Paul Hewson. William Bast was an American screenwriter and author who is the biographer of James Dean. And Paul Hewson was his British partner. They've got the idea to pair a married couple with one of them being a bit vulnerable and the other one being a bit 
comedically kooky. But the vulnerable female would have special telepathic, telekinetic, and at least in the pilot, pyrokinetic powers. They would take up residency in the great town of Laurel Canyon, which is just outside of Los Angeles. That would be the premise. I mean, they would play detectives and it wouldn't be so much a whodunit as it would be a how did they do it? Because in the intro to every episode, you see a crime in progress. And it would be, you know, a long trip to find out how are Rick and Amanda going to catch this guy before he commits any more crimes? So, who did they get to play Rick and Amanda Tucker? CBS cast a pair of Canadian actors in the leads. Art Hindle as Rick Tucker and Kim Cattrall, podcast favorite, as his wife Amanda. Art was just coming off The Octagon, a Chuck Norris film about a martial artist who has to stop a clan of ninja terrorists. Kim was coming from another movie as well. But we'll come back to that. So CBS commissioned the pilot called The Good Witch of Laurel Canyon. They tested it, and it tested well enough for the network to order a full season of 13 episodes. I gotta be honest. That's a dumb title. The Good Witch Moral Canyon. Like, what the hell does that even mean? Well, it means that there's a witch in Laurel Canyon, and she's not the scary, scary witch. She's Catherine Bell before Catherine Bell was Catherine Bell. Because Catherine Bell plays the Good Witch on Hallmark Channel. So... They screened the pilot, and it did well enough for CBS to commission a full series of episodes. But there was a catch. They wanted a recast. What exactly happened depends on who you ask. According to the New York Times, Kim LaMasters, a CBS executive who helped develop the premise, said that half of the executives didn't like art. He also said that half of the executives didn't like Kim. So logically, they got rid of both of them and replaced them with the equally available Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. And yes, Greg, it is the mom from Seventh Heaven. We talked about her already. Yeah, we already talked about her earlier this year. Go back to the live show we did for Star Trek Four. But hey, Tim Matheson, he's like, what, four years removed from Animal House? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone remembers him from Animal House. I remember him from Animal House. That's right. But I noticed something funny when I was on IMDb. Okay? Now, we all know Catherine Hicks was Andy's mom in the original Child's Wife of 1988. You know that, right? I know this. This is a known fact. Yes. Did you know that Tim Matheson was in the Child's Play remake from 2019? Oh, he's in the remake, the theatrical remake. I thought you were about to talk about no, not not the show from USA. No, the theatrical remake that MGM did that had Aubrey Plaza and Mark Hamill as the voice of Chuck. Well, instead of yeah, instead of the good guy dolls, you had the interactive Bluetooth enabled buddy dolls. 
Yeah, because they probably couldn't use the good guy doll because copyright or something. Yeah. So we have Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. We will get back to the cast in a moment. But another equally plausible take comes from Art Hindle himself in an interview with the Toronto Star. All the networks show these pilots to the public that they pick up on the street and they put push-button responses in their hands. They respond to wherever they like the character, don't like the character, or they like the story, don't like the story, like the scene, don't like the scene. She, Kim Cottrell, didn't do too well with these responses, so they replaced her. And I just walked them. I had other things to do, and I didn't really want to get involved with something they were going to start pulling strings all the time. So that's another take. But remember when I said that Kim Cattrall was just getting off of doing a movie? Yes. Third take. From Tom Jicha of the Florida Sun Sentinel. Long before Sex in the City, Kim Cattrall was the victim of one of the most childish episodes in TV history. In the spring of 1982, she was cast to star in a CBS fall series called The Good Witch of Laurel Canyon. That summer, Porky's featured Cottrell, that's right, Porky's, that Porky's, featured Cottrell's racy scene in the gym. Nowadays, a network would do contortions to get a star like that on the air. Back then, the CBS brass ordered the series reshot with a new female lead, which turned out to be Catherine Hicks. It was also retitled Tucker's Witch. The show quickly cratered. So yeah, three different takes on this one sad episode. What do you guys make of it? It didn't hurt her career. Didn't hurt her career. She, of course, can be seen and heard nowadays on Hulu's How I Met Your Father. And, of course, we all remember Kim as one of the uh, leads in the only 80s movie that matters, 1987's Mannequin. Which is now on HBO Max. Which is now on HBO Max. Along with that god-awful why the hell did they make that sequel, Mannequin 2, on the move. No, seriously, why in God's name did they move? Anyway, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're now sorry, are... Ken Levine. You've had a great career, but why? <laughs> so anyway, back to the cast here. Rounding out the cast would be Lieutenant Sean Fisk, played by Bill Morey. Bill Morey, unfortunately no longer with us. He was known as the Deacon in Death Race 2000. He played Mutt, Ricondo, and Colonel Slash in G.I. Joe. And he played Mr. Rivers in Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. The Tucker's secretary, Marsha Fulbright, is played by Alfre Woodard and... Come on, I really don't need to go over Alfred Woodard's career. We would be here all day. She's a legendary actress. And rounding out the cast is Amanda's mother, Rick's mother-in-law, Ellen Hobbs, played by Barbara Barry, a.k.a., if I'm not mistaken, Barney Miller's wife, at least for the first few episodes. 
It's like she was a regular on the show for the first season and the second season. And then they went to uh, recurring characters when they started to focus the show more on the precinct. But yeah, Barbara Berry played Amanda Tucker's mother. So, what kind of shenanigans would Rick and Amanda get themselves into? Well, let's find out with both the unaired pilot and the recast pilot, which was basically the same episode. Shot for shot, scene for scene, remake. Rick and Amanda Tucker investigate a series of murders involving women in elevators after a woman comes to their office claiming that she knows who the killer is. In the process, they tangle with the deceptively friendly killer. You wouldn't believe me if I told you who the killer was. Okay. Who is the killer? I guarantee you that the whole deceptively friendly is bullcrap. I bet you this is a terrifying person. Oh, the guy's name is Danny Kirkwood. Oh, that sounds like a scary name. Sounds like a scary name, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah, Kirkwood. Oh, that's, that's a scary name. He's played by Ted Danson. What? Wait, Sam Malone is Sam the Malone. killer. Is the killer in the pilot episode? Yes, Sam Malone, the guy from CSI, the guy from The Good Place, Ted Danson, one of the three men and a baby, dude. Oh my God, this is horrible news. I have to tell Tom Selleck and Steve Kudenberg about this. Oh, jeez. Hold on. We didn't mention Becker. We didn't mention oh. Becker, of course. Or Mr. Mayor or The I, Good Place. Thank you. I was going to say, what about uh, Mr. Mayor? We did Mayor? mention The Good Place. We didn't mention Mr. Mayor, but we did mention The Good Place. We're not going to mention Whoopi Goldberg, though. You oh, no. No, no, no. I'm. We're not going to talk about that one thing with Whoopi Goldberg that one time. No, 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 no. On the bus no, did an no, entire episode no. about that. No, we're not no. talking about that. They were a couple at one time, if you remember, but we'll just keep it at that. No, no, no. That's right, Jack. No, no, no. But yeah, that was the pilot. They did a shot for shot, scene for scene remake. I want to say most of it was basically Power Rangers together with the new scenes featuring Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks. Or at least nowadays it would be. This is what we in the uh, B-movie world would refer to as Godfrey Owing. Episode 2. Big Mouth. Somebody is trying to knock off reporter Jewel Porter and Rick and Amanda... Must find out who it is before it's too late. So who is Jewel Porter and who's trying to knock her off? Jewel Porter, played by Elizabeth Wilson. She was in The Graduate as Mrs. Braddock. She was in Quiz Show as Dorothy Van Doren. She was oh! in The Addams Family. Yep, yep. She was in the Addams Family as Abigail Craven, but here's the deal. She was Roz in 9 to 5. Oh, that's terrific. Roz in 9 to 5. 
Among the uh, familiar faces in this episode is a guy named Andre, played by Paul Regina, who would go on to be one of the three brothers in Brothers. But Greg, Mike, we talked about him before, or we will talk about him eventually, sorry, because he played the titular son in future entry, Zorro and Son. Oh my god. Zorro and Son. Yeah. Greg, that was my reaction too. Zorro and Son. Zorro had a son? Zorro had a son. And playing Nathan Bly, who is the murderer in this episode, Murray Matheson, who was in, let's see, 16 episodes of Banachek, an episode of One Step Beyond, an episode of Battlestar Galactica, but he played Mr. A.G. in the Twilight Zone, the movie. What segment? Kick the Can. Oh, yes, that's the Steven Spielberg segment of the Twilight Zone movie. Yes. But a familiar face in one of the bit roles, Plague's secretary, Liz Sheridan. Maybe making a case for the Hall of Fame? Oh, I think she's definitely uh, making a good case for the Hall of Fame. Talk about Mrs. Akmanik. Yeah, and Jerry's mom. Well, and Jerry's mom, but yeah, people of a certain age would remember her as Mrs. Akmanik on Elf. Por que no los dos? It can be both. Hey, one more name, though. This is loaded with uh, guests. Playing Terry Porter, going to assume the husband of Jewel Porter is Ty Andrews. We've talked about him in the past. Don't remember where, but where you would know him from is he was on the Mod Squad. He was Captain Adam Greer on the Mod Squad, but also, just because I love doing this anytime uh, this comes up, guys, I hope you're sitting. He was on a week of Beat the Clock in 1979. Woo! Oh, that's great. I bet you he did beat that clock. Beat that clock within an inch of its life. Episode three. The corpse who knew too much. After an attempt on her husband's life, Debbie Shears leads Rick and Amanda on an investigation that reveals Debbie's husband had an entirely different life than previously known. Debbie Shears, played by Dorothy Fielding, known for Fright Night, Kiss Me Goodbye, and Remington Steel, well, one episode of Remington Steel. She played a doctor in three episodes of Seen Elsewhere in 1983. And really, she was pretty much a that lady from that thing, except she played Sarah Dancy in 312 episodes of The Doctors. Not the talk show The Doctors, the soap opera The Doctors, obviously. Oh, there was a soap opera called The Doctors. Yep, and her husband Larry was played by Sam Wiseman, who directed 1997's George of the Jungle, and 1994's D2, The Mighty Ducks. Oh, that's terrific! D2, The Mighty Ducks! 
where for some reason, Iceland is the big heel in junior kids hockey. I don't know why. Maybe it's because, okay, the Cold War is over. We can't really use Russia as a hockey villain anymore. Let's just pick any old country. Okay, Iceland, that's fine. We can't use Russia because the Cold War is over. We can't use Germany because the wall came down. We can't use Norway because, come on, it's Norway. What did they ever do to you? But also, I'd be remiss to not mention Keenan's knuckle puck in D2, the Mighty Ducks. Oh, boy. A couple of other faces uh, playing a role named Sturges is Blake Clark, who we talked about in Women in Prison. And... Oh, oh it goes did. beyond that. There's more. It's, yeah, not just an and. There's he more. Did. He was on the match game with Squares Hour. We all know this. Uh, yes, we do. Yes, well, we keep do. going. There's more than that. Keep going. There is? Oh, well, he was the voice of Slinky the Dog in Toy Stories 3 and 4. There's even more than that. Yeah, what? Really? 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 Do I need to fill in the gaps for you? Oh yes. my gosh! He was Farmer Fran and the Water Boy. Oh, that's right. I forgot that's about right. that. There you go. Yeah. And and he was Harry on Home Improvement. He was the owner of the hardware store that Tim Taylor used to go to. That's right. Yeah, I told you a couple of major ands there for Blake Clark. He was also in perhaps a future entry, Smilf. Oh, it's on the list. Oh, Smilf is on the list. I know it is. Smilf! Smilf. What is the plot of Smilf? You don't have Showtime? No, I don't have Showtime. Oh, that's the one thing you don't have. It's, yeah, sort of essentially right there in the name. Oh, wait, I do have Showtime. It's just I don't watch Showtime. It's in oh. the name. Single Mom is Losing Faith. Well, what'd you think I was going to say? That's definitely on the list. Hey, do you guys want one more name? Not a big name in terms of acting, but a name nonetheless. Playing Harmony this episode is Bruce Kirby. Not known for a heck of a lot in terms of acting, but you'd know him as Bruno Kirby's dad. Oh! Bruno? You know Bruno Jack Kirby Jack Kirby? Bruno Kirby? Bruno Kirby, he was like in City Slickers. I know who he is. And one more name. Playing the role of George Fowler. Lawrence Pressman from Doogie Hauser and Heart of Dixie. And 9 to 5 as Dick. He played a guy named Dick in 9 to 5. Nowadays he can be seen as Jerry in the recently canceled series reboot on Hulu. I guess Paul Reiser and Judy Greer and Keegan-Michael Key and... Rachel Bloom, you forgot about Rachel I, Bloom. I was trying to remember her name. If Rachel Bloom is listening, I'm so sorry. Lots of names on this episode. Any more names on the next episode? Let's find out. It is... The Curse of the Toltec Death Mask. A stolen Indian artifact nicknamed the Toltec Death Mask indirectly leads to a series of murders when the archaeologists who stole it 
tries to sell it. I gotta point something out here. Here comes the educational moment. The Toltec culture is a pre-Columbian Mesoamerican culture ruled a state centered in Tula Hidalgo, Mexico during the epiclassic and early post-classic period of Mesoamerican chronology from 950 to 1150, right? Why are they calling this an Indian death mask? Why? Unless they mean the uh, a Native American death mask, perhaps? Because that I can totally understand. But I see Indian death mask, and my mind goes immediately to not Native American, but to India. A Native American death mask is stolen, and all of a sudden everybody is starting to die. No good. So we have a loaded, loaded guest cast here, playing Dr. Wade Harris, the um, archaeologist in question, David Spielberg. David Spielberg is one of those people who is a little bit of everything. He's not with us any longer. Where you might have heard him from, he's not related to Steven Spielberg, best I can tell. He was on the TV version of Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. He was Ted. That might be a future cover because that didn't last all that long back in 1973. And if I'm not mistaken... Weren't they on that one week of the $10,000 pyramid with McLean Stevenson and Loretta Swit? Yes, one of those few extant episodes of the $10,000 pyramid, which Game Show Network aired, like, what, 22 years ago? Yeah, somewhere around 2000. Yeah. Another person of note in this episode playing Jessica Price, Marge Doucet. She was Kara in one episode of Star Trek, the original series. But she played Alex Spaulding in 143 episodes of Guiding Light. Oh, yeah. And she was on an episode of Tattletales. She was also on your mom's stories because she was a regular for a little while on Santa Barbara. And she was on Capitol. My guess is... She was on Tattletales while she was on Capitol. And she played Mrs. Pathley in one episode of Previous Entry ER. Sorry, e slash R. Yes. The slash is very important. Playing a guy who was changing in the men's room... That yeah. was changing in the men's room. Yeah, that is the name of his character. That's a the guy name of his... changing in the men's room. I want to know what the competition was for this role. I wonder if there was like an intense competition. I want to be the man who was changing in the men's room on Tucker's Witch. <laughs> Raph Morrow, the guy who played the guy changing in the men's room. He was in... Saved by the Bell is Mr. Dickerson, that a-hole teacher. He played a bum on six different episodes of Night Court. He played a car washer on one episode of Seinfeld. Oh, what episode of Seinfeld? The Smelly Car from season four. Okay, the Smelly Car. 
and he played a doctor on House, an old dead guy on Pushing Daisies, and Chop Restaurant owner on Bucky Larson Born to be a Star. My God! Really? He, he went in 25 years from guy changing the men's room on Texas Twitch to the Chop Restaurant owner and Bucky Larson Born to be a Star. <laughs> he was definitely a that guy from that thing. Episode 5 Terminal Case A political candidate will stop at nothing to be the next mayor, including blackmail and murder? Dun dun dun! With the aid of a young high school student, Rick and Amanda try and stop him. Playing the mayoral candidate slash murderer, Mark Wyndham, Kenneth Mars. People of a certain age will remember Kenneth Mars as the voice of Triton in The Little Mermaid. But he's done so much more than that. But yeah, I'm just going to leave it at The Little Mermaid. And playing the high school student trying to stop him, Holly Fields... Nancy Cartwright. That's right. It was Rick and Amanda and Bart Simpson trying to stop King Triton from killing to win a mayoral contest. Man, that must have been the inspiration years later for that episode of The Simpsons where Sideshow Bob became mayor. Plausible? And to be honest, that episode does have one of my all-time favorite Simpsons moments. With that creepy laugh from Kelsey Grammer in that episode. <laughs> and just look how happy he is. <laughs> well, we have another name in this episode playing Senator McGowan. Bert Remsen taking a break from being the chef on It's a Living to be a senator who may or may not be dead by the end of this episode. Speaking of dead, after this episode, CBS took some time and basically pulled the series from the lineup. Because guess what it was up against otherwise? It was up against a doctor and a dynasty. The doctor was Quincy Emmy, and the dynasty was Dynasty. Oh, God, no. Yeah, suffice it to say, it really did not stand a chance. Not with that lineup. But they promised that the show would be back later on. But we have to wait all the way to March to get a new episode. Well, before we get into what happened after it came back, I think we got to listen to some 1982-83 era commercials. I think we do, too. Yeah. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. 
Three rival bosses plot to burn Boss Hog, and the Dukes have to save his bacon. Next, JR plans a big surprise. Why is it I think my older brother is always up to something? Then, on Falcon Crest, a murderous trap tightens about Cole and Melissa. It all happens Friday. This is CBS. Mary Jo West has the night off. I'm Mary Hughes. Coming up, a fatal plane crash in the valley. And some prime suspects in the Tylenol case. The 10 p.m. report is next. What makes Ford's annual financing rate different quality? Ford quality. In fact, last year, Ford achieved the highest quality rating of any major U.S. car or truck manufacturer. So now you can get a low 9.9% financing or $300 cash direct from Ford on Escort and EXP. 9.9% financing on Ranger. But here's the real difference. Ford quality. Have you driven a Ford lately? All right, we're up 15. We got this game won. Yeah, you got to buy a light beer for Miller. Yeah! Nice, nice belly! One out to go. Yeah, what can he do to his mouth? Keep the change. Here's Rodney! Ah! My turn! Oh. Any pinch in his left? Here I am. Come on, lady! Look at me. Do you like what you see? Good. Because it's not me. It's a recording of me on Mimrex videotape. This remarkable tape has been recorded and re-recorded 100 times, but I bet you still couldn't tell if it was Mimrex or me, which really isn't me. It's Mimrex. Mimrex videotape. Even after 100 recordings, you'll wonder, is it live or is it Mimrex? Monday, these square pegs join Wimowee's all-girl football team. Then, can Private Benjamin save Sergeant Ross from being replaced by a robot? And on a world premiere movie, Andrew Stevens and Yvette Mimieu are willing to risk everything for their forbidden love. Come live with me. Monday. And we're back. Before the break, we were talking about how Tucker's Witch was up against Quincy and Dynasty, and, well, CBS gave it five good episodes before they decided to not necessarily pull the plug, but, you know, rest the show while they figure out what else they want to do with it. So we go to a show that was meant to air in... November, but ended up airing in March, Abracadaver. A dead symphony composer leads Amanda and Rick on a wild goose chase involving his corpse, a dangerous business smuggler, diamonds, and a French jewel thief. Playing the uh, special guest in this episode, Frank Garrell, 
Charles Shelfie, known for Clute in 71, Newsies in 92, and Shaft also in 71. He played Vic Androsi in Shaft. And playing the French jewel thief, Mademoiselle Chambier, Sonia Peterson. This was pretty much the be-all and all of her career. Episode 7. Die Job. That's D-Y-E, not D-I-E. Justin St. Peter, a renowned local hairdresser, has a high-priced murder contract on his head, and Amanda and Rick must figure out who it is before it's too late. Playing Justin St. Peter, Joe Penny. I believe he would be a year or two removed from uh, Riptide with Tom Bray and his killer robot. Yeah. But also, let's not forget, he was Jake on Jake and the Fat Man. And as we established about what? Let's see. It's now what? 12 episodes ago, I established the idea for a Jake and the Fat Man prequel called Fat Man 66. Now, Mike, I know you would watch it, right? You would watch every episode of Fat Man 66. Mike is not saying anything because he knows it's so great. I'm just like, who wouldn't want to watch that? Yeah. Fat Man 66. Now you see, I wasn't expecting you to go there. And what you're going to say, was there cheese in that Danish? Well, let's remember, William Conrad, he has a little problem with cheese. And also he likes to sleep a lot, so he has a lot in common with Mike Francesa. I've got a little problem with cheese. I, I, I would like to see Fat Man 66 if there were Danishes all over the set. That would be great. Fat <laughs> <laughs> Now wait, hold on a second. I got a question about Fat Man 66. Is Joe Penny involved in any way? Or, or You said a prequel, but is he like introduced at some point in the Fat Man 66 series? Oh yeah, he'll probably be introduced in like final season. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so it's like a nice continuation. I like that. Yes. Beautiful. Anybody listening, feel free to steal this idea, Fat Man 66. Give me proper credit, and I will make a ton of money on the residuals. Yeah, that's how Hollywood works. They listen to a podcast, and they call you up. Anyway, another name in this episode, if you are a person of a certain age growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons, playing a guy named Donnie. Steve Alterman, who played Ash, the bassist, on Kid Video. Oh, geez, how is that not on the list? If I'm sure it is, but that has to be an eventual cover one day. Eventually, oh we will get around to covering Kid Video. I think everybody wants to know about the band made for TV who went on tour as an actual band. The band is called Kid Video. It's fronted by a guy named Kid Video. And it was, let's be honest, it was an excuse to get the music of Haim Saban and Shuki Levy out there. Another name in this episode. Playing Earl Creighton is James Karen. 
he has a very diverse career. A very, I can't even pick like one role that he's known for. He, he is that prototypical, that guy from that thing. His career goes back to 1948, and he's done a little bit of everything. Not with us any longer, unfortunately, died in 2018. Next episode, Psych Out. Amanda matches wits with an intellectual psychic who has knocked off multiple banks for multi-millions in money and jewels. Oh, it's witch versus witch, isn't it? I like it. And playing said Psych Out. Stefan Kubler, which does not at all sound dangerously close to Yuri Geller. Paul Hecht. He directed Down to Earth in 2001, which was basically the remake with Chris Rock in the Warren Beatty role. Is Stefan Kugler Ben Spoons? No. Bend! 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 I still contend. Shittiest trick ever. Any jackass can do that trick. There's nothing impressive about it. Nothing. Uh, my sister did it at a hotel in Cincinnati when she was like 11 years old. Of course anybody can do it. Bend. He Bend. has no other trick. No other trick. That is not impressive. Do something else. Mike is doing the rubber spoon trick and it's more impressive than that. I'm just wiggling it between my fingers. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the rubber spoon trick, you know, like the rubber pencil trick. Yeah, but I, I, I don't want to, you know, damage uh, the good uh, flatware here in the Klaus house. Episode nine: Rock is a hard place. A popular female singer is murdered by a failed songwriter in order to take her place and boost his career. Oh boy, Greg. Yeah. Playing the role of Andrew Bren, who may or may not be the songwriter or a manager, but he's definitely in the business. Terry Kaiser. He's making his case for the Hall of Fame. Oh, yes, he is, baby. Oh, I don't think there's any more making the case. I think it's a virtual lock at this point. Keith Tracy, the songwriter who would go on to murder our pop star, would be Ted Neely, who is known for playing the titular role in 1973's Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah. I gotta say, the theme to Jesus Christ Superstar, awesome. Episode 10. Formula for Revenge. Maurice Gerard, who has a nose for perfumes as well as owning a perfume-making company, is murdered by one of his employees in order to take over the company and make easy money on the newest fragrance Max was working on. Ellen tries to get her driver's license in a B-plot. Maurice Gerard, the corpse du jour, is played by Billy Beck, who is no longer with us. He died in 2011. But he was the can man in 1988's The Blob. Oh, The Blob! Yep. 
And the guy who was working with him, Max Leopold, played by Jordan Charney, who's known as Dean Yeager in Ghostbusters and Harry Hunter in Network. And by Ghostbusters, you mean the uh, 1984 Ghostbusters. Yes. Nothing against the other three Ghostbusters movies, but I'm all about the OG. More names in this episode. Three more names in this episode. Agatha Hinks, played by Liz Torres. Legendary actress Liz Torres. We talked about her in the famous Teddy Z. But also she was on the uh, John Larroquette show. Playing Salome Lipton. Erica Wells, who we talked about in Super Train. Oh, that's fantastic. Super Train. Can't get enough of Super Train on this podcast. And playing Norma Petrosian, Tracy Scoggins. From Lois and Clark and Babylon 5 and God knows what else she's been in. Episode 11, Living and Presumed Dead. A successful shipping business shipping executive hires Rick and Amanda to find his daughter missing for over 20 years, but things soon become complicated when it appears not only her, but others are now in danger as the investigation goes on. The shipping company shipping executive, Daniel Gorman, is played in this episode by Simon Oakland. I believe this was his last role before his death in 1983. But he was in Psycho in 1960 as Dr. Fred Richmond and Shrank in West Side Story in 1961. More than that, though, he was Tony Vincenzo in previous installment, Kolchak the Night Stalker, but also, and I think this has to be an eventual cover especially since it's the butt of so many jokes back in the day. He played Brigadier General slash Major General Thomas Moore on Black Sheep Squadron. Oh, yeah, Black Sheep Baba Black Sheep. Yeah, the, the Black Sheep Squadron, I think, is like the syndicated uh, title. Correct. But hold on, if you're keeping score, that's within like five minutes, we've had two shows that have John Larroquette in it. Yes, John Larroquette was on Black Sheep Squadron. And and a really young Dirk Blocker. Dirk Blocker, of course, the son of Dan Blocker. And also people would know him from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But he was, like, really young. He was, like, 20 years old when he did this. And this is going back to, like, 76, 77, so... Yeah, and he looked like an old man back then. I mean, he, he hasn't aged. He looked like he was like 40 when he was 20. And if you want to catch Black Sheep Squadron, it reruns literally like every Saturday or Sunday. I think it's uh, Sunday for like two hours on H&I. And it's been that way for like 10 years. A show that only ran two seasons, they've rerun the heck out of that. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Black Sheep Squadron did really well in syndication. I'm surprised they didn't order more episodes from that. But then again, that wouldn't be the age to do it. One more name in this episode. Playing the daughter, Natalie Gorman, Julie Cobb. 
from season one of Charles in Charge. That's right, and you know what that means. She was the on-screen wife of Jamie Widows. I just blew your mind, guys. No, you didn't blow my mind. I was expecting that to happen. Oh. Well, whenever we talk about season one of Charles in Charge, invariably there's a Jamie Widows reference. I'm surprised he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Yet? Hmm. Episode 12, Murder is the Key. Ted Lomax kills his wife and frames her secret lover for her murder. Uh-oh. 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 Nobody expects the Teresa Merritt uh-oh. And Rick and Amanda must figure out the truth. Ted Lomax is played by Barry Corbin. I believe he, too, is a legendary actor. Nowadays, he could be seen in Tulsa King on Paramount+. Plus. But he was also in Yellowstone, The Ranch, 911 Lone Star, and played a voice of a guy named Hank Jameson in Madden NFL 19 Longshot Homecoming. Oh, that's right. He did that. Like, they had a story mode in Madden. That's like a new thing now. I think since like 18 or 17. I haven't really played much of the newer Maddens because, as you know, most of the newer bands are like buggy and quite terrible. Hey, we did talk about Barry Corbin in the past because he was on two episodes of the famous Teddy Z. Oh. He played Zed. But yeah, he was also in One Tree Hill as Coach Whitey Durham. And he was like on a ton of episodes of Anger Management. The series that was on FX and also syndicated. I think it was concurrently syndicated uh, and on FX. Yeah, it was sort of a half and half deal where everyone would get all the episodes, but half the profits would go to FX and half of the profits would go to the syndicator. And he was also on 110 episodes of Northern Exposure. So Barry Corbin was pretty much everywhere. His wife was murdered, played by Rita Taggart, who was also everywhere. She played Doris Dorkoff in something called Where the Bears Are. Where the Bears Are? Well, I'll tell you where the bears are. They aren't ingesting cocaine like the cocaine bear. Yes. That's going to be the feel-good film of 2023. I can feel it. I'm going to see it tomorrow, cocaine bear. I can't wait. More names in this episode. Playing Sheriff Trout, Noble Willingham. Playing Stanley, Robert Pastorelli. And playing the guy that they're trying to pin the murder on, Merrill William Lanto, who was available Jones in 1959's Lil Abner. But, and we talked about this show last week, he played Judge Kolensky in three episodes of Amen. And I want to bring this up again. It made Anna Maria Horsford's career. Good. And that was the show. And like we said, it was put on hiatus midway. And they put the show back on the schedule on Thursday nights after Simon and Simon. 
So that would be like a whole night of detectives on CBS Thursday. Magnum P.I. starts Simon and Simon in the middle and then Tucker's Winch thinking that would make the show at least a little bit more visible. Here's the problem with that, though. It was up against Hill Street Blues and 2020. Yeah, you're not beating either of those two. All of these shows, they were basically their standalone shows. They're basically their slice-of-life episodes. There was no real connection or character development on any of them. So it's one of those series that you could air one and not miss anything. There would have been a problem if there was some character development. But there was no character development. So there was no problem. There was promise for the show. There was sort of a glimmer of hope. Maybe that it would find an audience. But here's the thing. It started in October. The first episode aired. It got respectable numbers. But then the second episode aired. Opposite Game one of the World Series. Oh, yeah, that's not good. And this was game one of the St. Louis-Milwaukee World Series that went seven games. Yeah. And week three, Tucker's Witch ran into game seven. Oh, man. No. No. If you had the choice between Catherine Hicks and Keith Hernandez. You're obviously going to pick Keith Hernandez. I mean, come on. It's Keith Hernandez. It is indeed Keith Hernandez. But then I have some words here from a note in the New York Times. The mysteries were too fragile and not well enough thought through. A good mystery needs certain strong elements that these scripts didn't have. A hero who gets into jeopardy who you can root for a clear villain, a compelling story, and a way for the hero to come out the victim. So we have a turnover in writers, a couple of not weak leads, but definitely not strong leads. I mean, Tim Matheson and Catherine Hicks were no Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers. But all in all, the show just seemed way too safe. Does that make any sense? Show being way too safe? Yeah, I can see that. Going with predictable plots, safe actors, all of that. But if you want to check it out for yourself, the show was released on DVD, thanks to Multicom Entertainment. And if you can't be bothered with cumbersome boxes and discs... You can stream the entire show right now for free, including the unaired pilot with Art Hindle and Kim Cattrall on Freebie. And it's available officially for streaming on YouTube, too. Just look up Tucker's Witch episodes. It's, it's right there. there. It's right there. So, thoughts about this show? I think you said it yourself, it got way too predictable. And if you got better options elsewhere, why would you tune into this? 
It was not charming. It was not cheeky. It was cute. That's the word I was looking for. It was cute. It was cute, but against Hill Street Blues, are you going to really tune into this over that? No. Maybe with a better schedule, it might have worked. But no. Ultimately, Tucker's Witch tried to cast a spell on Wednesday nights, but it became a thing on TV that soon made itself disappear because magic. Well, you can find some magic on your own at it was a thing on TV.com. We have all of our previous episodes, mini-sodes, live watches, links to our socials. Remember, we are on all social media at it was a thing on TV except for Facebook, because Mark Zuckerberg met Ted Danson in a dark elevator. Oh, so Ted Danson's the reason we have It Was a Thing on TV podcast? And if you're on YouTube, don't forget to smash the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, including what we have planned on Thursday. Because my boy Mike here He's having a birthday. Oh, yeah, he is. I'm going to screw it up again because look at my history when it comes to money in the bank selections. You don't know Jack and the eternal favorite around here, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. Will I go three for three? Stay tuned. Find out Thursday right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Mike, for Greg, I'm Chico. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. That was the real star of the show, the kitty cat. The cat in the open and walking on all the letters. That is the that is the star of the show, yes. Every witch needs a cat. Every witch needs a kitty cat. Let's party. Share a hot case of mystery. She's a witch. With TV's most extraordinary private eyes, Tucker's Witch, premiering Wednesday, October 6th.